Welcome to another episode of the Testudo Times podcast with your hosts, Sam Ostry and Ben Dixon. Uh, ben, how are we doing? We're going to get into everything Maryland, Charlotte, and then preview that Maryland SMU game coming up here. But Maryland's off a dominant victory. First, Ben, how are we? Doing great, Sam. Uh, looking forward to, you know, Maryland's you know biggest test on its schedule thus far and, and a good tune-up ahead of Big Ten play. Yeah, so let's get into everything from this past weekend. Maryland traveled to Charlotte, a road game against a much inferior opponent. You don't see those often in non-conference. But Maryland, this this was a game that was on the schedule before Loxley was even hired. He, he the Maryland had to travel to Charlotte, and they put on an absolute offensive clinic and just dominated 56-21. to 21. Charlotte is not even close to the caliber of team that Maryland is. We talked about this last week, but they were ranked 131st out of 131 eligible FBS teams by the Athletic. So one of the worst teams in all of the FBS that, that people people are saying. But Maryland was dominant offensively, not so much defense side of the ball. So we're going to get to that a little later. But Talia Tagovailo was 27 for 31, 391 yards, five total touchdowns, four passing touchdowns, which was a career high. He did have one interception in the in the uh, second quarter trying to target Dante Demas in the end zone on that right sideline. But other than that, he was near perfect. 87% completion percentage. What did you see from him that was working so well? It was, I mean, it was just a vintage Talia Tugavalo game. He was excellent, like you said, near perfect. Uh, the interception is kind of just, you know, a blip on the radar type thing where you forget about it when you look at his day in, in the big picture you know he he climbed up maryland record uh record books excuse me in terms of you know single game completion percentage um passing yards and i think he's only now one game away from his 10th career 300 yard passing game um five total touchdowns he was just excellent i think the thing that stood out to me most and i asked him about it yesterday at, uh, at media and there was a stat uh on twitter brought to you by you know pro football focus they do a great job there um talia was you know by far and away the best quarterback in the country in week two under pressure. I mean, his poise in the pocket when the pocket collapses, I, you know, I made it my lead in, in the game story for uh, the Charlotte game, the play where he kind of, you know, rolled out on, on second and goal from the 16, third and goal, I forget which play it was exactly. And kind of just evaded two rushers kind of sidearm flung it to a wide open Jay Sean Jones in the end zone that kind of, you know, epitomizes what, Maryland fans and what Maryland wants to see from Talia Tugavailoa. As long as, you know, he stays poised in the pocket and he doesn't let the game get too big for himself and he stays within the game, he really is one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. Yeah, and look, it wasn't against a good defense at all. Um, and he did have that one pick, but he did play phenomenally. And you expect that. Like, we've seen, we saw that last year against some inferior opponents. He was really dominant. And it's really more about his progression this year. You talked about in the pocket, you know, he is staying poised. He's better decision making overall. And a big thing for him is not letting one mistake become two or three, which he hasn't so far this season. But even though he wasn't very sharp in that in that first uh, game against Buffalo, but the thing big thing for him is playing this way or maybe not career days, but playing great football against great opponents and great defenses. And we're not going to find that out until until down the line, until we get into Big Ten play here. But it, it is important that he starts playing well against some of these inferior opponents, and, and he certainly did that. And you talked about how he escapes the pocket and, and when he's under pressure and he makes plays. A lot of that is because of the insane weapons that he has on the outside. Let's start. We'll, we'll go over the Maryland receiving court. Sean Jones had two touchdowns, which was a career high for him. Jacob Copeland, the Florida transfer, had his breakout game, four catches, 110 yards, two touchdowns. Let's start with Deshaun Jones now first, who seems to be Talia's favorite weapon. And I asked him about that 
yesterday and and he he talked about how they have a great relationship he's seen the progression from Deshaun Jones harder worker uh, stays after watches film but it's really like incredible that he's came back from two ACL injuries and is still maybe Talia's most reliable target certainly not the most talented because they have such talented guys in the wide receiver room. But he's been phenomenal. He had six catches for 71 yards. And like I said, two touchdowns. Just what is so incredible about, I mean, we know what's so incredible about Sean Jones' story, but what made him, him, what makes him such a great target for Talia? It's amazing. It's to kind of think how healthy he is and just how connected he is with Talia right now. Um, he's been Maryland's, you know, most consistent receiver in, in the first two games, and that's not a surprise either. Um, Jay Sean Jones, you know, been a consistent piece of the Maryland offense for as long as he's he's been at Maryland, you know, ever since, you know, the Terps beat Texas at, at FedEx Field and his first three touches were a passing touchdown, a receiving touchdown, and a rushing touchdown. I mean, he this guy is just dynamic with the ball in his hands, um, ability to get separation from defensive backs. And to, obviously, you know, him and Talia have this chemistry where, you know, Maryland's wide receiver room is so deep. And like you mentioned, Sam, he might not be the most talented guy in that room, but he's a guy that's just become such a reliable weapon um, for Talia Tugavaloa. Pretty much catches every ball thrown his way, it seems like. Um, kind of different situations as well. It, it seems, you know, most of his uh, receptions last game were kind of 14, 15 yards completions. If you need a first down, Jay Sean Jones is kind of the guy to go to. Um, he, he's shown he can be dynamic in open space. He shows he can be dynamic in situational, you know, receiving plays where uh, Merrill needs to get the first down. Um, he, he's just been so reliable and, and so consistent. It's been great to see from just, you know, a football fan's perspective to see him go through those, you know, two major knee injuries that he had and to come back at this level and, you know, be the most consistent receiver on a team that, has one of the best receiving rooms in the whole entire country. Um, and, and the connection just between him and, and Tugavalo has been pretty special to watch as well. Yeah, it certainly has. And, you know, we talked about Jacob Copeland. He had um, his uh, I've arrived game for Maryland after uh, transferring from Florida. Uh, but also for Kim Jerry, you know, he didn't have an ex- exceptional get- day necessarily, but he didn't necessarily need to. He, he had that 100-plus yard receiving performance in the opener against Buffalo. He only had three catches for 21 yards. And then Dante Demas, who I want to talk about a little bit, uh, he only had two receptions on three targets for 29 yards. Uh, he had a few more catches in the opener, but he hasn't been a huge fixture of this of this passing offense so far. Obviously, he's, he's coming off an ACL injury. They're taking it slow um, in practice. He's wearing he's wearing a brace. Um, you know, it's just like how how much do you want to see him more get into the offense? It's more about how healthy he is. Like how his progression is going to be in terms of you don't want it like he only played 50 to 60 snaps uh, percent percentage of the snaps in the opener. I don't know exactly how many he played in terms of percentage in the second game, but how much more do you want to see him kind of slowly evolve into the offense um, the way some of these other guys are? Right. I mean, you'd like to see Dante Davis become, you know, that number one guy in the offense, the the great receiver that he was last year for the Terps before he got injured. However, I don't think it's, you know, at the top of the worry list right now, given the fact that, like you said, it's miraculous that he came back from this injury and he's playing in these first two games of the season. I don't think his lack of involvement so far is necessarily a worry. I think we'll see multiple games where he ends up being the top receiver and and he could go back to being Talia's favorite target as well. Um, I think just the, the overarching theme, you know, we've, we've kind of mentioned on every week's podcast, every time, you know, we write a story or talk about him. The fact that he's back is amazing. Um, he's he's going to be 100% soon in terms of 
you know, the receiver that he was, I think at least. And, and, you know, the snap count as well to go along with that. I don't think there's any reason to worry. Um, I'd like to see him, you know, get more involved. Uh, I think SMU, the, the, given the tempo, the matchup probably provides a good opportunity to get Dante Demas involved a little bit more, even if he's still playing, you know, 60% of, of the Maryland snaps, but, Regardless, I don't think it's something to worry about at this point. The fact that he's on the field is amazing. Yeah, and that's the thing about this receiving core is that you don't ever want to put a microscope on one receiver for one game because Deshaun Jones had a great game last game. He could come back and only have two catches for 20-something yards this game. But that doesn't mean he didn't play well. That's just because they have such a plethora of receivers and defenses are going to have to try to take one or two of them away, which means a couple of those other guys are going to get open and get more opportunities. It's really just what the defense gives you. And when you have as many talented guys as they have, you know, some, some days it's going to be one guy's got one guy's game and the other day it's not, that's just, that's just the nature of the receiving room. When you have a lot of talent, sometimes not easy, but they seem to be balancing it. Well, hundred percent. It's like, my favorite quote from the offseason, and I, I write about it and bring it up all the time, was when Jacob Copeland coming to, to from Florida to Maryland to be with the guys instead of the guy. That's kind of been the mentality in this receiving room. It's going to be a different guy who leads this room game in and game out, and that's what's going to make this offense special at the end of the day. Absolutely. In game one, Jacob Copeland was just one of the guys. He was the guy in game, in game two against Charlotte, though. All right, let's get to the running game a little bit. You know, they had 193 yards on the ground. A very split backfield in terms of the load of carries that they got. Roman Hemby, who seems to be the number one back, the breakout star running back for Maryland. Uh, he had nine attempts for 29 yards, no touchdowns. Um, Antoine Littleton, only one attempt, but he exploded for 59 yards and, and it was a touchdown. Cole McDonald got some action, four attempts, 61 yards, one touchdown. And the freshman, uh, uh, Ramon Brown, he had eight attempts for, um, excuse me. Eight attempts for 27 yards. Sorry about that. Yeah, so so it was a really balanced uh, running game all across the board, and that's kind of something you want to see. Is there anything you took away from the running game or kind of just stand, standard as you expected? Standard as kind of I'd expect it. Uh, the Charlotte defense was not good. However, um, I think seeing those home run touchdowns by Colby McDonald and Antoine Littleton, it kind of just adds to you know what this room can provide. Everyone's been sleeping on the running back room. Um, but they have some legitimate big play ability with Roman Hemby leading the charge. Um, I, I think Antoine Littleton is probably going to be number two in terms of snaps that we see this year. But then at the same time, you know, Colby McDonald's going to be right there. And then it's good to see Ramon Brown get involved as well. Um, I, I just think the big play ability of these running backs feeling comfortable running behind the Maryland offensive line, which, you know, all returned from, from last year as well. Um, it, it provides another element to the offense. The run game can open up the passing game. Same thing for the passing game open up, up the run, which we kind of saw on Saturday. Um, can't have any major takeaways given the opponent, but the fact that, you know, we've seen so many of these long touchdowns this early in the season from multiple different guys is, is absolutely an encouraging sign. Yeah. And the last thing I want to get to it's before we get to the defense, which did struggle and we'll get to that. It's the, it's the penalty issue, which is once again, an issue and it will bite them very soon. It could be this week against SMU could be against a great caliber opponent, like a Michigan in two, two weeks from now, they had another eight penalties and they're up to 16 now on the season in, in penalties. Last year, we talk about it all the time. Last year, they were second in the big 10 and, com- and they st- committed the second most penalties in the big 10. It, you, you can't keep getting away with that. You will against Charlotte. You will get against Buffalo. You might not against SMU, even though you're at home. You can't keep having these penalties where it's like a false start, a hold, 
um, just just penalties that shoot you in your foot, and they're really about discipline. You have to have stronger discipline moving forward, and they have in through two games they haven't been able to clean that up. Going back to last season, where it was a problem, it's it's going to be an issue, like you said. You know, eight penalties last game, uh, eight that were accepted. There were there was a ninth, which was you know possibly the worst of them all when when Van Darius Cowan hit you know Charlotte's quarterback with a late hit, and and luckily for Maryland, uh, there were some offsetting penalties there. The team has to be more disciplined, and it starts with these non-competitive penalties that you know, Coach Loxley brings up. You can't have these, you know, late hits. You can't have the delay of games, even the false starts. Like the penalties that are, are dead ball penalties before the ball gets snapped, or, or you know, that just don't have any impact on the play. Just have to stop if you're if you're going to be a team that takes the next step. You can't let these penalties hurt you because that's exactly what they do. You, you're not going to win games in spite of committing roughing the passers in spite of committing delay of games in spite of offsides. Those are the the first things that really need to be cleaned up and those can't happen come big 10 play. But also, like you said, Sam, you know, the holdings, the, the pass interferences, I think that'll, you know, hopefully you hope and get clean up as the, uh, as the schedule moves along um, and, and players get more used to the game type environment. Um, those are the more, you know, competitive penalties that Loxley talks about, but overall, just competitive or non-competitive, these penalties are, are a major problem. They have been uh, for the past few years for Maryland, and they're, they're going to need to clean it up because it, it's hurt the Terps. And that's the big thing that I want to pay attention to is that you could brush it off early season. That's normal for any football team in early season, but they have a veteran crew, and this was such a – you know, they returned 15 starters on both sides of the ball. You, they, they, this was such a problem last season that you'd expect going to this season, even if it's early on in the season, you're getting real live game reps. Uh, for the first time in these first two games, you still expect it to be cleaned up because it was such an issue last year. It should be such a focus because it is going to kill them on a third and three situation where they get a false start and they're back to to a third and eight and then they get turnover on downs. It's it's going to kill a drive. It's going to get it's going to when the defense is on third down and it's a late hit or something, even if it's more of a competitive competitive penalty, you know, Michigan could be driving. They could be in the game or or, or Maryland could be getting a huge stop, a third and eight. They're going to do some boneheaded penalty. It's going to shoot them a foot, give Michigan a first down, a whole new set of downs, and they're going to make something of it. And it's just like the score might not indicate it last season against some of these teams, but even against Iowa in that game, yeah, it ended up being a blowout. But that second quarter when everything started to derail, a lot of that was because Business. of those penalties. So it, it, it needs it needs to be cleaned up, and we'll find out this weekend when they have a real real test coming to town, SMU. Right, I, like – as I think I think the thing that people, you know, don't realize about this SMU team and, you know, we'll get into it. Um, you know, Coach Loxley called it a, a top 25 team. Um, SMU is a team that regardless of their discipline or, or anything, you know, negative that they do, they're good enough where if, if you commit these penalties that, you know, are, shouldn't be happening, it's going to come back to haunt you. They're a team that will absolutely take advantage of you especially with their electric offense um if you jump off sides or pass interference or roughing the passer um smu is is not going to leave those uh you know penalties uncapitalized no not at all and we will get into that smu game which is not an easy non-conference game at all for maryland but it really is must win um but let's talk about the defense because this defense is going to be huge for this smu game coming up and they struggled they really struggled against um, a third string quarterback, and maybe he should be the starter for Charlotte, but he still is the third string in Xavier Williams last week. He was 19 for 35, 191 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Charlotte had 388 total yards of offense and scored 21 points. 
We talked about this before, but this is a really bad Charlotte team. This is going to be the worst offense and the worst team that Maryland plays all year. And they let Charlotte drive too much down the field. And a big part of that was not getting to the quarterback and a struggling pass rush. Loxley talked about how it was flipped. In game one, the defense played really well. And then game two, they didn't, and the offense didn't. And then in game two, the offense played really well. The defense didn't. And a big part of that is the pass rush. Pass rush. They got to the Buffalo quarterback in game one. They could not, Xavier Williams said, all the time in the pocket against the Maryland defense, which allowed them to, to really excel in the passing game. They only had four quarterback hurries and one sack, which came late in that fourth quarter. So they did a, a poor job of pushing back that pocket and putting pressure on the quarterback and making him make difficult decisions. They didn't do that well at all. And it's really like it's really going to be a problem moving forward if, if this, something, this isn't something they can clean up. 100%. I think the most concerning, you know, out of the three Charlotte touchdowns, yeah, they had, you know, multiple drives that lasted over 75 yards and were 12 plus plays. It was the four play 80 yard drive that took less than two minutes and Charlotte scored a touchdown. Not only it's the pass rush and the secondary, it's directly correlated. If you can't get to the quarterback, the secondary is kind of going to, you know, fall apart and they, they're not going to hold for a full, you know, 15 seconds. But this, the secondary was, you know, especially, uh, you know, especially bad on that four uh, play 80 yard drive where, you know, Xavier Williams was pretty much just tearing down the turf, tearing up the turps vertically down the middle of the field. Um, and Maryland, you know, let up a touchdown. It, it was a 21, 14 game at one point. Um, this game was, you know, not out of reach in the beginning of the second quarter. And, and Charlotte was, had two touchdowns, which I think Maryland was probably, you know, not thrilled about at that point on the flip side of that, you know, Loxley mentioned SMU as the team that's going to attack them vertically uh, with deep passes and also over the over the middle of the field horizontally as well. The what we saw against Charlotte in that regard is extremely concerning in my opinion, given you know the caliber of the offense is going to improve game by game. And and like we said kind of earlier, it's only the second game, so you hope these things can improve when you watch the film and you have a week to work on it in practice. But given the game film and the game that we did saw those the, the, the game that we did see, excuse me, those moments are, you know, it, it's it's cause for worry. Yeah, it, it is cause for worry. And another part of that is the secondary. But it's important to pay attention that the secondary relies on the pass rush. If they're not putting right. pressure on the quarterback and the quarterback is all the time in the world. The secondary has to guard for longer. Those cornerbacks have to guard for longer. And that makes it more difficult. You can only guard for so long. Eventually, someone's going to get open. So if it's on the, the pass rush to make the, the secondary look good because they need to put pressure on the quarterback and make him make a decision quickly, and which gives the court, cornerback an advantage when, when they're guarding for less time. And speaking of that cornerback group, Chakorian Bennett had kind of a quiet game, but he's obviously a star and leader of that cornerback group. But Tarheeb still didn't travel. He had a freak hand injury, um, a freak accident in the locker room, which which affected his finger and he had to repair a tendon this past Monday. He had surgery. He's going to be out against SMU this week, but he is going to be, he's expected to be active the following week against Michigan. So he's not missing a ton of time, but he, he wasn't there for Charlotte. He's not going to be there for an electric offense, a passing offense in SMU. How much does that hurt them? And like, who do you expect to step up in his absence? It hurts. Um, Definitely. I mean, we've seen what Tarheeb can do at his best, um, you know, not only in, in the partnering game, 
but also as a cornerback, his freshman year, especially he was excellent. Um, but without him, you got to look to two guys to step up in, in that nickel back sort of position. Um, Glendon Miller being one of them, who's, you know, more of a safety type player. He had that big hit against Buffalo in week one uh, that was initially targeting, but he stayed in the game somehow. I thought it was targeting. Um, but And then the other guy is, is a freshman, number 26, Gavin Gibson, a guy who, you know, we don't know much about at this point. Neither of them, really, we don't know much about at this point. Um, it, it's a good opportunity for both. But on the flip side, you're being thrown into kind of the fire against an SMU team who has, you know, really an electric passing game. So that's also another, you know, cause for concern there. But on the flip side, it is a good opportunity for both those guys to kind of, you know, make a name for themselves and make a positive impact on this Terps defense. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch, see if, see if someone can step up in his absence. The other thing I want to touch on this defense is uh, the lack of turnovers. You know, we're two, through two games, and they have zero takeaways. No fumbles were covered and no interceptions. A lot of these games are going to, moving forward, are going to come down to that turnover margin, and it could be against SMU this week. Um, Maryland needs to start generating turnovers, and again, that starts with getting to the pass rush, making quarterback make difficult, untimely decisions, which can lead to interceptions. Um, it's, it's putting, again, putting pressure on the quarterbacks and the running backs, um, like forcing fumbles, all that stuff. But it's really important that they start generating turnovers, especially against a great offense in SMU. Like if Maryland has two turnovers this game and, and they can't create any offensive turnovers and they can't create any SMU is going to win the game. It's going to, these turnover margin is going to be so important moving forward. It hasn't mattered against really against weaker opponents in Buffalo and Charlotte, but they need to start generating turnovers. And against some not great offenses in Charlotte and Buffalo, the fact that they have zero is not a good sign. No, not at all. And, and it's only going to get tougher, like you said. Um, this team's got to find a way to generate turnovers. It is what it is. You're not going to win in the Big Ten by just getting destroyed in the turnover battle, which, you know, obviously hasn't happened destroyed-wise. You know, they've lost the turnover battle given that Tulia has thrown an interception in both games. Um, but something's got to change. Uh, hopefully something will. I mean, Corey Bennett easily could have had a pick six against Buffalo. Um, I'd look for him to, you know, get an interception in one of these next he's couple He's itching games. for one really bad. And right. we know it's and, coming. And it starts with him, too, because he's always, you know, in those positions. You know, he led Power 5 with pass breakups last year. He's got to get some picks. Um, I think that the team could also, you know, the, the team needs to win the turnover battle, kind of like I said. Uh, maybe not against SMU because we're expecting kind of a, a shootout type game. But going to Big Ten play when you're getting in the trenches, if you get destroyed in the turnover battle, it, it won't be pretty. Yeah, and you know it could matter against SME because that could be the difference when when you're right. putting up so many points and these offenses are just clicking. That could be the difference, just one one or two turnovers. You never know. Um, all right, is there anything else you want to get from this this Charlotte Maryland game before we bring on our guest talk about SMU? Um, I think we're ready to put it in the rearview mirror. Um, definitely some worry with the defense in that game, but you know we saw the electric offense and and, and overall not an A game. Um, for it. For, uh, for Maryland, but, you know, put it in the rear view mirror, 2-0, and oh, and uh, a big opportunity with SMU. All right, great. So we're going to preview it here in just a second, the full breakdown of Maryland-SMU, which is should be a phenomenal game. Maryland's coming in as a three-and-a-half point favorite at home, so only a slight favorite, only a little more than a field goal. And the over-under in that game, last time I checked, according to DraftKings, was 69, which is the highest over-under for any Big Ten team, Big Ten team that's playing in a game this weekend so he there's expected to be a lot of points between two dynamic offenses and two struggling defenses 
Um, so we're gonna get we're gonna bring in a guest here in just a minute and get into that full SMU preview. We now will come on a special guest to break down the Maryland football matchup this weekend. Kirk Ogunrinde from the SMU Daily Campus. He covers SMU football team extensively, so he's going to help us break down this matchup against Maryland uh, this coming Saturday night. Kirk, how are you? I'm doing okay. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah, nice of course. Nice to meet you as well. Of course, of course. We're excited. So first, obviously SMU hasn't played the best competition so far this season, but they had a prolific offense last year. They've shown they have a great offense again this year behind uh, Tanner Mordecai. So what have you seen? What are some of the major takeaways that you have from SMU's first games this year? Um, I have really two things to say. Um, number one, we're glad to have Rhett Lashley as our head coach now. I can say he's here to play that fast-paced attacking football that we knew from SMU. He previously served as our offensive coordinator in 2019, which was like SMU's best season. Finished 10-3 and three in the conference, and we we actually like averaged 41 scoring points per game. Like he's he's here to play the attacking football, and it's it's really nice to see. The second thing I can say is like SMU can score. Despite the fact that we haven't played like the best opposition, but we can see like we can score. And Lashley's offensive coordinating genius um, ability is is working. We can score. Hundred um, percent. And you know the, the offense starts, you know, and ends with it seems. You know, quarterback Tanner Mordecai. You know, guy who's now you know evolved into one of the best quarterbacks in the country. In your eyes, what do you think makes him you know special? Um, yes, he's, he's now, he's very seasoned is what I'll say. He's like a veteran now and playing, he transferred from OU in his um, sophomore year, spent two years at SMU, he's won like so many awards. He's very seasoned is one thing I can say. He's seen, he's seen like every play before he has that eyes to like make the right decision and know his teammates. And that's one thing that really stands out for Tanner really. Yeah. And, you know, when you talk about that SMU offense, how prolific it is, yeah, it's Tanner Mordecai, of course, but it's also the weapons that he has on the outside. And that starts with Rasheed Rice, who's who's his number one receiver and his number one target. He's targeted on about 50% of the time on pass plays, which is really an incredible number for a number one receiver. What traits about him stand out? And like, how great is his connection with Mordecai? And, and what do Maryland, what does Maryland secondary need to do to, to attempt to even stop him? Um, uh, there's not a lot you can do to stop Rice. Really. <laughs> like Rice, um, Rice is really playing out of his mind right now. Um, he's number three nationally in like receiving yards right now, and he's already scored three touchdowns. Like Rice is the real deal. What I can tell you about Rice is he's fast, he's quick, he's agile, and most importantly, he's like really confident. Um, I remember last game against Lamar, he had like a dropped. Drop pass was really important, but like the next play, he went ahead and like got a really pivotal um down to get us to a touchdown. In the next play, just the next play, he's he's really reading the game very well, and to stop him, there's really not much you can do. Keep an eye out for that speed and agility, and those like long balls towards the towards the end zone. And yeah, as much you can do, just hope. Yeah, a real quick note about that is it'll probably be Jacorian Bennett who's matched up against the Maryland's cornerback. And, you know, he's faced some great receivers in Ohio State last Ohio State's receivers last year, Michigan's receivers last year. But this is for a new season where he's made that jump. He, you know, he led the all of power five and pass breakups this year. He he's already has five pass breakups 
all from the first game this year. This is really going to be interesting to see how he matches up because this is a new season for him. He he's trying to make go to the NFL, get a better NFL grade than he got last year. This is going to be one of his t- toughest matchups of the year. Yeah, of course, and I'm sure like Rice is also very wary of what of what he brings to the table. You know, um, as I said before, like Tanner X Rice, there's already been three touchdowns between them. That connection is really going strong. But like coming against uh, a more a more um, competent cornerback um, in Bennett, like he's going to be very wary of what he's doing and how he's making those runs and his decision making. So this would be a great matchup for us to see this weekend, really. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the NFL scouts will have that one, that matchup between Bennett and, and Rice. If we do see it kind of all over their radar as well, you know, kind of sticking with the, the theme of SMU's offense here, Kirk, you know, Maryland head coach Mike Loxley said SMU's offense is, is especially dangerous attacking, you know, deep down the field with vertical plays. How, just how legitimate is the big playability of this SMU team? Very, very legitimate. Like it's something we've already said a couple of times this season. Um, Mordecai, you know, staying deep in the pocket and throwing those long balls towards Rice and like other receivers. Yeah, it's definitely something SMU. I don't think like SMU goes into every game trying to make those plays, but something that opens up because I mean, with Tanner, with his amazing passing ability, that's always going to be a possibility. He's always going to see those passes when they open up, when those receivers get free. He's always going to make those passes. And one thing Tanner said um, last week before the game at Lamar, when it was asked about that, those kind of passes towards Rice. And other receivers, he said, like, they do it in practice. It's something that he's he's done repeatedly in practice. And if it opens up in a real game, he's going to take those shots. And I think Maryland and, like, the the coaches need to be wary of those kind of balls. Yes, SMU is very confident with those. Right. And, I mean, something to note about that, just real quick here, is even a team like Charlotte uh, attacked Maryland deep a couple times last week. So it is a cause for concern for this, this Maryland secondary definitely will be interesting, you know, perhaps an X factor to see how that one plays out. The lot, a lot of those big plays come from playing with such a fast tempo. And that's something Loxley talked about yesterday too, is that they play with fu- such a fast tempo and it can, it can, it can be difficult to line up when you're playing so fast and Maryland's offense does the same thing. So it might be difficult for SMU SMU's defense, but when you're playing with that such a fast tempo. It's hard to line up and, and you kind of break free. And that's when a lot of those, those big plays and explosions happen. So it's going to be a high tempo game for sure. But let's get to the defensive side of the ball for, for SMU um, defensive tackle, Elijah Chapman. He's an all conference player. He's great at getting to the quarterback. He's also going against a very experienced and strong offensive line and a great offense and quarterback in Talia Tagovailoa. So what do we what should we expect from from Chapman and what threats does he pose in the entire front seven, really? Um, yeah, Chapman's really good at what he does. And if anything we can see from like his development at SMU is like he's only getting better. Like last year, he he recorded like what 40 sacks, which was like double what he had from the previous year, which was like 22. So yeah, he's really good at what he does. He's very aware and and wary of the what the other team has to bring. And this entire SMU line, one thing I can say is like they're they're big, they're confident, they're ready. And yeah, we're going to expect lots of of of, of big plays from this defensive side. Hundred percent. And you know that front seven led by by Chapman has the potential to cause some issues. But you know, detailing the other side of the ball, which has a direct correlation with that front seven, the secondary. Not only an all-conference player, a guy who's a preseason All-American in, in Brian Massey. What type of things does he do back there? And, you know, what can he do to, you know, lead SMU defense to winning the turnover battle and, and getting a road win at Maryland? Um, 
Yeah. Um, one thing about Massey is like he's very good at adapting. Um, Simons, which is our defensive coordinator, said made that note about him. He's really good at adapting. He knows when to like step back. He knows when to be more aggressive on the ball, and like he leads that front seven in terms of like his leadership and the way he communicates with his teammates in terms of adapting to what um, Maryland and other teams will be able to bring forward. So yeah, every team brings a different ball game, and we know to a um, Tucker Valia, he 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 really knows how to run the ball and pass the ball at the same time. So yeah, we have to be able to adapt our game. And Massey is going to be the one to to make that happen for us. Yeah, so you know we've talked a lot about their strengths. So we know that's the offense. What's the biggest weakness? What is Maryland going to try to exploit on either side of the ball? Hmm. Um. Yeah, I'm a fan of SMU football. I'm a student, but one thing I can say is like I'm a realist, and I can see like from the last two games we've played, our running game is not the best, really. And so SMU's. That's I'll say that's one of SMU's weaknesses. We need to be able to like run the ball more because like yes, the pass option is great, and that's what we go for with our first option. But to be able to adapt to like different kind of like defensive setups, we have to be able to run the ball more against UNC. We were we're overrun, and I think it's one thing that we kind of worked on against Lamar, and yeah, we'll we'll see how SMU tries to adapt to your game against Maryland this weekend. But yeah, and on on the other side, I'll say. Like being more aggressive on defense, and I mean we're we're out. We have one of our really important corners out because we we try to appeal a call, a targeting call last week against Lamar for him. But yeah, that was that wasn't successful. So yeah, we're kind of like behind on defense right now, like one man down. But yeah, it's something we have to look for this weekend. It's interesting that's the case because Maryland's also down a cornerback as well in Tarheeb still, which had finger. Uh, repaired a tendon on his finger earlier this week. He's going to be back for the following week against Michigan, but he's out against SMU. Talked talked about that earlier. So each side is really down down a quarterback, a cornerback, which could even make the that total even larger in terms of points. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. I mean, you think you think it's going to be a shootout? Uh, next thing you know, two corners from each team are out as well. So it could, could be even more than that. But Kirk, I, w- I want to shift a little bit away from football just for one second with SMU. Um, I saw all over Twitter uh, and social media the past week or so. Um, Paul Lane, you know, former super fan of of SMU, um, he, uh, um, you know, unfortunately passed away recently. Um, and I think SMU is going to be wearing a helmet sticker in, in his uh, in his honor. Can you tell us a little bit about you know Paul's legacy and what he means to the program and, and you know playing for him? Yeah, um, Paul really means a lot to this program. Over the last week, um, the course of the last few days the team, the coaches, and like the students. We've we've been really mourning the the passing of Paul. And like he he really brought a lot to this to this team. He's what Dallas the morning was described him as a super fan. 542 games is really no joke. He's been to Tokyo to watch this team. He's been he's watching this team like in the middle of a pandemic. He's been everywhere. And yeah, Lane is Paul is just he just represents the commitment to SMU football like all students have. And like he's like just that one icon to look up to, to for many of the students and many of the fans and the players. We really mourn the passing of Paul Lane. We're going to honor him. This this as you said, this game is going to be way more than football for us. And many of the players did feel that sentiment towards him as like someone who stood by our side throughout all the good years and the bad years. So yeah, we're going to be doubly motivated because of this. And yeah, we really mourn the passing of Paul Lane. 
Yeah, I mean, super fan doesn't even probably do it justice if he's been to that many games. That's that's really an incredible number. Um, Integral part of the program. Yeah, yeah. really. Yeah. All right, so now let's let's get to a little score predictions, which we like to do at, at the end of every uh, podcast episode here. Um, the the DraftKings has a line at three and a half in favor of Maryland. Maryland's minus three and a half. The over under last time I looked was sixty nine. It's expected to be an absolute shootout. Um, Seventy three and a half. 73 and a half now? Wow. Yeah, it opened at 70. It went down to 69. It's now 73 and a half? Yep. Wow. Vegas is picking up on the injury news. I th- like yeah, I mean, yeah, that's got to have to do something. Because I didn't check yesterday after those announcements, but that's got to have to do something with those cornerbacks being out. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a high, high-scoring affair. You know, it's kind of like a bend. Both defenses are going to try to have a bend-don't-break approach, and whichever one does break probably is going to lose. We talked about the turnover margin being key in this game. What are some of the key things that you think are going to come down to to who's going to win? And then what's your score prediction? What do you think is going to happen? Um, I think it's going to come down to like some big plays. Really, um, some our 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 offense has to like step up this this weekend to really help us fill in for those for the miss, missing piece in the corner. But I do think it'll be a high scoring game too. Those. Um, those odds are, are kind of like consistent with what I think is going to be. If you want an exact score, do you want an exact score? Yeah, let's, we'll have an. Yeah, we usually do an exact we'll score. I, just, just, just for the record, Kirk, I, I got the prediction exactly right for Charlotte last week. So a lot of pressure. Wow. Did you ever wow. tweet that out? I don't. Did you ever... I did. I did tweet it out. It, it, it's it's a blue it. moon thing because I'm not very good at predictions. <laughs> Neither am I really. But yeah, I'll go for. Um, we're looking for. I like. Mid fifties, I'll say. Um, the team who wins will probably not win by more than like 10, 12 points, par- probably. Um, so yeah, I'm looking at like a mid fifties kind of thing because I know SMU can score, but so so can Maryland, and like those missing pieces will definitely like make things open up more. And yeah, we can get more scoring from there. Ben, you want to go? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the keys to the game exactly like both of you mentioned it's really going to be a shootout um uh we mentioned earlier in the podcast sam you know discipline is going to be a key for this maryland team um i think if they avoid you know these you know non-competitive penalties uh they should be in good shape at home hopefully you know in front of uh, a good crowd at the show at maryland I, i've been kind of wavering back and forth uh with, with my prediction here um, I really do like the the over of 73 and a half. I, th- I think this game, kind of like Kirk mentioned, is going to be decided. And, like, the, the winner is going to be in the mid-50s, I think. Um, so, oh, Sam, I, I think you got to give your keys before before I give an exact score prediction. We'll kind of kind of trace back to it, all three of us. I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the keys the keys are everything we've been talking about all episode. It's, it's, it's really, like, Talia has to be – near perfect and he was last week it's not a great smu defense you know it's kind of the weakness as kirk kirk mentioned but you know he really needs to be perfect to leah and i expect the offense to have a phenomenal day chad ryland i think is going to get a bunch of opportunities more so than he's got in the first two games as a kicker so he's going to have to be great kicking in those those field goals uh, you know i i think it's going to come down to like can one team Obviously, it's going to come down to the stops. You know, it's going to come down to who bend, what defense can bend and don't break. But I really think it's going to come down to the turnover. You know, is is a team going to be able to turn the offense over more than the other? And if Maryland's able to do that, which they haven't this year, I think they're going to win. Now you can give your score prediction. <laughs> All right, I'll go first, I guess. I'm going to go 
I, I think SMU is kind of my pick um, for the for the first few days of this week. I, I think I wavered back and forth. Um, going to make a final prediction right now of, I think, Maryland 54, SMU 49. I think it's going to be a really, really high-scoring game, uh, kind of the mid-50s, like, like Kirk mentioned. I think Sam, Chad Ryland gets a couple field goals here. But I think, you know, we won't have, you know, many more conclusions about the improvement of either side's defense at the end of this one. But I think it'll be a very entertaining game. Prime time under the lights at Maryland Stadium. We'll go Maryland 54, SMU 49. So you have them covering as well and that over overhitting. Yep. Um, you know, th- this is honestly Maryland season. Um, and it's weird to say in, in week three, but it's it, their, their schedule is so difficult in the Big Ten. And unless they have some massive upsets, it's going to be really hard to to kind of be bowl eligible or even if they want to improve on last year's record, which was six and six. It's going to be really hard if you don't take care of business in the non-conference. So this is a really important game. It's going to be entertaining. It's 730 prime time for a reason. I think the fans recognize that. Loxley talked about it yesterday, the importance of that atmosphere. I think it's going to be a packed house, which you don't see often for Maryland. And a few of those night games they've had in the past, Iowa last year, Penn State a few years ago. They've been letdowns. I don't think this is going to be let down. I think Maryland takes care of business 42 to 30. I think that over under number is really sharp. It's high number, but I think it's really sharp. It's going to be right around that. I think Maryland covers, you know, it's going to be a tight game throughout. Maryland kind of pulls away in, in the beginning to middle of the fourth quarter. I got uh, Maryland winning 42 to 30. Uh, wait, so Kirk, what was yours again? Um, I was looking, as I said, I was, I was still looking at mid fifties. I'll go SMU win. We, <laughs> of course, I have some more on my of team. Of course, of course. Yo, I, have got to say, it, you got it. I have to say, like, Rasheed Rice is the real deal. And I do think, like, um, some of our, our other, other receivers are, like, stepping up. We saw McDaniel um, make two touchdowns last week, and he's, like, really pumped up for this game. So I'm looking at, like, 54 and 40, 45, something. So SMU 54. Okay, so the SMU beat writer has SMU winning. The two Maryland beat writers have Maryland winning. Kind of so, something's that. got a gift. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I think we all agree that it's going to be a high-scoring, entertaining game. Look forward to it Saturday night. Um, huge spotlight for Maryland to kind of prove something before they get into Big Ten play. But Kirk, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Kirk. Really appreciate it. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Give a full breakdown of the SMU pre SMU game, and then we'll get into a Michigan preview as Maryland enters Big Ten play. We'll see if they're three and zero or two and one. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.